Thank you to all the moms here. Happy Mother's Day. I hope it's going to be a great one. If we haven't met yet, my name is Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're going to start off a brand new series today for the next three weeks called The Reward. And we are going to jump right in. We're going to jump in pretty heavy, feet first. Um, and I want to know uh, the answer to this question, not out loud, just in your head. Um, do you ever struggle to uphold your own rules? Do you ever struggle to uphold your own rules? These self-imposed rules. I'll go first, just to make it easier, okay? The answer is yes. I tell myself I am not going to eat too much at the wrong time. Yet, I end up eating too much at the wrong time. Perfect example. Last night, I don't know, it's 10:15 at night. Stephanie just got home. She had a speak engagement last night. And I, I, this is so weird. Um, I'm talking to her, and my mind just goes into automatic mode. It's like, well, Taylor, it's 10:15 at night, time to eat some pizza. And so I go to the fridge and get out the leftover pizza from the night, because I was in charge of the girls, so I made pizza. Awesome dad right here. And uh, so I get out the three slices of pizza that are remaining, and she's talking, and I'm just stuffing my face at 10:15 at night, three slices of pizza. And then I get done, and I put the dishes away, because I'm a responsible dad. And I then think to myself, after a little time passes, and I'm now I'm feeling very full, why in the world did I do that? That's the thing I'm trying to not do anymore. But it was so automatic. I just open the fridge, get the food out, and eat it all. And it is not rewarding. I mean, it's rewarding in the moment as you taste the marinara sauces, you eat the sausage top pizza. But in the long term, it is not going to be rewarding in any way, but I did it anyways. So what about you? Do you struggle with expectations or rules or goals even, like rewards you're set, you set for yourself, and then you don't follow through with them, right? You tell yourself, I do this too. It's, this is a lot about me. It's like personal, just sharing. Um, <laughs> I tell myself I'm gonna deal with stress better. I'm gonna have better balance in life. That's kind of a, a phrase we throw out a lot these days, uh, but yet, I don't deal with moments where I feel overwhelmed and stressed still very well. So if you have similar experiences, do you give in to the stress in your life? Or do you stand above it and say, no, 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 I'm not going to give in to that personal rule because I set myself a boundary or rule. Um, how many of you, you know, ever said, I'm going to be more healthy and I'm going to go to the gym? And then do you go to the gym? especially when Netflix released that brand new series that you were just waiting on or the second season of that series. And at that point, it's just really easier, honestly, because to sit home because you'll go to the gym tomorrow, won't you? And then the tomorrow and tomorrow, you know how it goes, okay? Um, some of you have set the goal in your marriage or your dating life or relationship that you have going on um, that you are going to be a kinder spouse. How's that going? How's it going when you tell yourself, gosh, I knew I shouldn't have said that thing, and then I said that thing. And it just creates a downward spiral in the relationship again. Or some of you um, struggle with worry or anxiety um, or fear of what's going to happen next. And so you let that fear consume you, define you. And you tell yourself you're not gonna do it this time until things in your future started to fall apart, like your job or your relationships, or your finance, uh, financial outlook, or you're contemplating eternity or your health or something, then it starts to fall apart and you start getting anxious 
and afraid and worry and it weighs on you. And then it gets worse because then you try to seek comfort in things that probably aren't the healthiest. You tell yourself you're gonna stay focused, but then you run away. You're not gonna click on that thing that you always click on, but you find yourself clicking on it and watching it. And you sit there afterwards and you're like, why did I do that thing? Why did I behave in this certain way even though I told myself I'm not going to do it? For some of you, you've maybe set a rule and that's why you're even here today. It's like, I'm gonna try to get closer to God. I'm gonna try to figure out faith. God or not, I'm gonna try to figure it out. And so you start showing up and you're kind of committed and, but then you get busy and things come up and over time, your focus and participation and involvement in figuring out God dwindles. That ever happened to you? You fall away? Or you may be someone sitting there hoping that, you know, God's gonna come along and just ignite that fire that you once had late in the past in your history and life, but you kind of lost now. You fall short of your own expectations. And you sit there, at least I do, and when some of those things happen, I sit there and I'm like, what's wrong with me? Like, why do I do that? I know what's good for me, yet I don't choose what's good for me. And one of the way, reasons that this happens, one of the things that's wrong with me and perhaps maybe wrong with you is we think we have much more willpower than we actually do, willpower. And willpower is something that's like a muscle. Um, it, it's, you really should think of it as a muscle. Um, it's something that you can work out, that you could exercise, that you can grow, but eventually willpower will give out like all your muscles give out. I mean, if you actually went to the gym, you'd know that after so many reps, you just can't do it anymore. It's just not productive anymore. It starts to hurt really bad and eventually you give in to rest. That's willpower. See if this little graph makes sense to you, okay? Here's a little graph that I, that I kind of threw together for you, okay? Something that you want to accomplish. And so you start here and you try really hard, okay? You try really hard. And you're working at it, you're working at it, you're going to the gym or you're doing that thing or you're not getting upset or as angry anymore or whatever that is. You're resisting that thing that you know is bad for you. And then you resist and you resist and you resist. And the longer you resist, your willpower starts to weaken and you start to slow down. And inevitably you find that you fail. And then you don't feel great. Maybe you feel bad. Maybe you feel some shame. Maybe you feel some guilt. And so what do you do? You tell yourself, I just got to try harder next time, right? And then your willpower weakens, and it's just a circle. It ever happened to you? For me, it is sprinkled, uh, sprinkled donuts. That's a just, uh, it's awful. It's terrible. And so I had um, someone pick up a, a donut for me, and I promise you, I did not open this bag until I got up here just so I wouldn't be tempted. And thank goodness we had donut holes out there so I could kind of like get by with myself. Um, but uh, this is the most incredible donut, Hy-Vee special right here. Um, look at how big this is. This is like the size of my head. Um, wow. That is a white sprinkled donut for you. I don't know. The camera doesn't even need to zoom on this, does it? Because it's like so massive. I mean, this is the size of an adult's stomach right there is what that is. But it's so much sugar, I guess it all dissolves. Anyways, okay. So I want you to imagine, maybe you see this donut and you are 
hungry already, okay? And so you can just imagine this donut. But whatever that vice is, that addiction is, that struggle that you have, that thing that you wanna do better, I mean, think of that thing. And then think of what happens as you try to go through the circle. For example, let's say for me, I'm just gonna speak for me, and you translate for you. Um, at, you know, if I go into work or something, or if I'm, uh, I'm somewhere for a long period of time, and I realize they have sprinkled donuts, here's what happens to me. The first time I walk by the sprinkled donut, I look at it and I say, well, that is a delicious looking donut, but I do not need that in any way, shape, or form, and I will resist. The second time I walk by that donut, I'm going to walk by closer because I just want it to know that I'm here <laughs> and that I want to be its friend. The third time, I may inspect the sparkly goodness that is inviting me to consume this donut. I mean, shoot, I mean, it's like, whew, tripping, Okay. And then the fourth time, what I'll do, I know you guys are above this, but here's what I'll do. I'll split the donut in half and only eat half because, friends, that's progress, right? That's what I tell myself. And then 30 minutes later, after the sugar high's gone, I, what, do I, what do you tell yourself? You need that other half. You deserve that other half. That first half was so good, and your body's like, I need more sugar to keep this high going. And so you go eat the other half. And then what do you tell yourself? Well, at least I spaced it out over an hour, right? Okay? You know, this is what's happening right here. You try so hard, but inevitably you fail. What is up with that? And then you feel so bad. And then you try to do better next time, even though you know the next time it's probably going to end the same way. Because it's a muscle, and every time you work a muscle to the point of breaking, it will eventually give out. Part of the reason is, is because you're fighting with yourself. You ever think about this? You're fighting with yourself. And it is very difficult to win against yourself when yourself, when you want to do something else. It's like impossible. Think, but yet we convince ourselves that you can fight with you and you will win more than you lose. And that's just so not true. We will fall victim to ourselves so often. We'll buy that thing we didn't need, knowing we didn't need it, even though our spouse told us we didn't need it, and we'll do it anyways. It's so silly that we do it, but we do it, don't we? The Apostle Paul, and if you're kind of a Bible nerd and you know the Bible really well, he talked about this, kind of a famous little passage, and I think it's a really uh, funny passage because it's so, I, I can empathize with it so much. And, and this is Paul, by the way, Paul, who's like a really good Christian, like great Christian, okay? Um, well, once he met Jesus, pre-Jesus, not so good. Pretty hard on Christians, threw him in jail, executed him, pretty rough. Met Jesus, life changed dramatically. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. I mean, we're, we can't even say that our work is in the Bible, okay? He can say he wrote part of the Bible. He's that good, okay? And he documented God's story, and he wrote about it as he wrote letters to the churches, and then the churches thought these were so awesome, such great letters, very informative. Let's put it together, put it in a book together. We'll bind it together, and we'll call it the B-I-B-L-E, okay? He's one of the best Christians, okay? And here's what he said about the struggle of life. He said, I don't really understand myself. Anybody ever felt that? I don't understand myself. What is wrong with me? For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. What's up with that? Instead, I do what I hate. I hate myself for eating that donut, yet here I am contemplating it in front of you all. <laughs> okay? 
I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I can't throw it away because that would be like, you know, we paid money for that. You know, somebody's got to eat it. Well, maybe some of you should eat it. No, actually, you shouldn't eat it. Never mind. This is getting out of hand. Back on task. Instead, <laughs> instead, I do what I hate. But if I know, if I know what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. He hits us with a little bit of intellectual reason, okay? He logics it out, all right? So if you know what you're doing, if you know what you're doing, like clicking on something you shouldn't or drinking too much or yelling or thinking bad thoughts, okay? If you know what you're doing is bad, then you by logic or reason means you also know what is good, right? To know it's bad means you know what's good. So then why don't you do the good thing? And think about that. Why don't you? Why don't we just all just do the good thing, the right thing? Imagine going to work tomorrow and everybody in your office just does the, the good and right thing. That'd be awesome. I mean, your tips at your restaurant would be out of this world, right? Your boss would say, hey, let me talk to you about a raise today. And you're like, good, Pastor Taylor was right. It's magic, no, um, right? I mean, things would change dramatically. Why don't we do what is good? Paul's asking that question, trying to figure it out. Now, Paul is referencing um, the, this idea of this law this law, he, he's thinking, and he's talking kind of to a somewhat Jewish audience, but it doesn't, you don't need to be Jewish to fully understand it, but he's talking about like the Ten Commandments and then the hundreds of other commandments, okay? And he says, you think about those. Those were meant to help you, to guide you, and you know those, yet you don't follow them. Why not? Why not? Why don't you follow them? Not just because they're the law, but because they're good because they're right. Why don't you do the lawful thing because it helps people? Why don't you do it? Not because the law says so, because it feels good to do that right thing, because it's the right thing to do. I don't know. There's a lot of answers you could give here. Depends a bit if you're Christian or not, but if you're not a Christian, I don't know which answer you give. Why do you not do the right things? Why do you not do the helpful things, the good things? If you're not Christian, then the next question would be, what is good? How do you know what is right? How do you define that? If you're Christian, you have another framework to work under. Why don't you do, if you say, I believe in God, I follow Jesus, why don't you follow his commands? Why don't you follow his laws? And I don't know about you, but a lot of times I'm like scratching my head, like sometimes I don't know why. Say, it's not easy. Sometimes, again, I don't know about you, but for me, it feels like a bit of a war internally, like a battle raging inside. And Paul says, I get that. I get that. I want to help you, he says. That's why he wrote this letter. He said, but there is another power within me, another power within me that is at war in my mind. I'm like, Paul, I so resonate with that. So far, Paul, you are knocking out of the park. I do things that I want to do. Instead, I do the things that I hate that I do, and I feel bad that I do them. And then it feels like there's just something that kind of controls me and creates this battle in inside my mind, and I don't like it. I don't like it. Why is it that in the midst of an argument with Stephanie, 
I know the words that'll really hurt. And then I say them. Why do I do that? That's so stupid. I may even do that on Mother's Day. I don't know, the day's not over yet, friends. But sometimes I will do that. Why do I do that? Why do I say that thing to a friend or a family member? Why do I send the whole thing into a spiral? Why do I lust out of control? Why do I play the comparison game that traps me in comparing myself to everybody else? Why do I let loneliness define me? Why do you let greed um, control you, a greed that you can't quench? When is enough enough? You don't even know, but you keep seeking more and more. Your pride, why do we let our pride get out of control? It seeks bigger and bigger audiences to see us, to hear us. Why do we let self-doubt and self-loathing consume us? Why do we let our addiction define us? It is a war that is tough to win. Paul says, let me help you out. Let me give you a bit of a reason. You may not like the reason, but let me throw it out there and you think about it. You don't have to agree with the reason, but at least think about it. He says, this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And oh, what a miserable person I am. It creates misery inside me. But what creates misery inside me? He says, I am a slave to sin. I have a slave to, to sin. When I was in seminary, um, I took a class on Romans. So you read through Romans in a lot of different ways. You read a bunch of commentaries, and commentaries are a bunch of academics, smart, smart people that do a ton of research, and then every verse by verse by verse they go through and they kind of explain, hey, here's my thoughts on this. I want to give context to what's going on and help the reader understand it. So you do a ton of research. And when we, get, when we got to this passage, Romans 5, 6, 7, um, 8, this whole kind of area just goes together, um, I, I just sat there and, and just kind of meditated on this idea of being a slave to sin. And because one of the things I learned is that slavery was different than what I think slavery is. So we think a lot in terms of American slavery, okay? And a very horrendous, brutal um, environment that was created here uh, around the, the idea of slavery. Now, slavery wasn't great in the Roman Empire, but it wasn't American slavery, and so Paul is not speaking to American slavery, so we have to push that away. We cannot read the Bible with our Western eyes and our Western context, because then we'll read it incorrectly, okay? We'll read it incorrectly. I hope that makes sense. If you read it and understand Roman slavery, you'd understand that um, to be a slave in the Roman Empire didn't mean that your life was over, that you were relegated, that you were considered less than human, okay? Slavery in the Roman Empire uh, meant that you certainly could have a very, very rough life, but it could also mean that you own land. It could mean that you hold political office, and you could do all of those things and still be a slave. Isn't that kind of interesting? That's a little different than our version of slavery. Their version of slavery didn't exactly mean that your life was over, depending on your slave owner, of course, that you could live within a range of opportunity that you had opportunities before you that you could take advantage of. You weren't totally free, but you still had something to live for. And that's what Paul's talking about. You're still gonna live your life. You're still gonna go about your day-to-day -day business. But the problem is you're still owned by something. You're still controlled by something. And it makes you miserable. 
And Paul does what I hope we should do, this incredible thing. He does, actually does two things. The first thing that I hope we could learn from, you don't have to, but today you have the opportunity, to call it for what it is. Just call it for what it is. To help you break through what's holding you back. And that is to call sin a sin. To call sin a sin. Now, what is sin? Sin is missing the bullseye. It's an archery term. It's like you shoot an arrow and you miss the bullseye. That's a sin, okay? In this term, or in the biblical terms, that means the bullseye is God and his love. And that's the command. That's the greatest command. That's what we should all be shooting for, okay? And to sin means we missed that target. You tried, but you fell short. You didn't love like God intended you to love. How God intended you to love your spouse, how God intended you to love your neighbor, how God intended you to love yourself, you missed it. So remove all that bad history from church, church history around the word sin that kind of brings you down. But it's you're not loving like God intended you to love. That's what sin is. And when you don't do that, it tends to bring death. And so Paul talks about in Romans how the wages of sin is death. Because if you get angry at someone or I say those mean words that I know will hurt my wife, it brings a bit of death to our relationship, doesn't it? Our relationship is not going to experience life at least for a number of hours, maybe days. You know where I'm talking about? Some of you guys are like, the men especially. <laughs> Been there. Sin does not bring life and love. Sin brings death. And Paul names it. He said, this thing, this sin, means that no matter your willpower, how strong you are, you will fail. Why? Because you are a slave to something. It still owns you. It still owns you. But you want to be free, right? Paul says, yeah. I want to be free. Paul says, I want you to be free. But to do that, at some point, you just have to say and be honest with yourselves and maybe sometimes being honest with others that, hey, this is wrong. This is a sin. If you grew up in the Catholic tradition, you have a strong emphasis on something called confession. It's something us Protestants don't do a great job of, but it's just saying it for what it is, right? And that's good. Because it helps you to move forward, doesn't it? If you call it for what it is, it helps you to progress forward. So personally, for me in that seminary class, it helped me to kind of move away from this idea that, oh, maybe sin was real or not real. It was like, no, it, it's something that is real. It overwhelms. It controls. Paul looked at it very much like a disease, and you could too. It's like an infection, that defines you. It makes your nose run, right? It makes you cough. You don't want to cough, but there you are coughing over everybody. And they're like looking at you like, hey, we just went through a pandemic, like cover your mouth or something. Did you learn nothing? You know, and it just, and you're like, I'm trying not to cough, but I just can't help it. So for some of us, our big first step that Paul's trying to help us with is just acknowledging what's happening. That there is this thing, this disease that keeps us from loving like we should. That is a big step, a new direction for some of us to take, to just call it for what it is. 
Okay, so we call it for what it is, Paul. Now what? Well, Paul said the exact same thing. He said, okay, well, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? What's the solution then? It's a great question. The great question is because it starts not with a what will free me, but it starts with a who will free me. Because Paul acknowledges something that we don't often acknowledge and are not willing to acknowledge because our pride gets in the way, is that we need help. That we oftentimes cannot overcome without help. And not from a what, but from a who. A what is usually a band-aid. A what is buying a new boat that gets us by like a month, but ultimately we fall back in the same patterns again, right? That's a what. A who is going to be there for the long haul. And Paul acknowledges he needs a who to help him. Let me explain this uh, with a little bit of an analogy here, okay? I'm going to put the donut away for some of you that are like, Taylor, please put it away. <clears throat> okay, let me, let me give you a little analogy. And uh, because it's Mother's Day, we'll talk to the moms first, okay? So moms, motherly figures, grandparents, aunts, you know, if you've, you've been in a motherly role, okay? <clears throat> And you've ever been responsible for watching for or caring for another human being, ideally a child, right? If that's ever been you, this applies to you. Or if you've babysat before, or if you can imagine what it's like to, to raise a child and care for a child, okay? That means I eat dads, you're included in this too, but we're talking to moms because it's mom's day, okay? That's how it works, okay? So imagine, you have this child, and you tell them, hey, why don't you go out play in the backyard, but please do not climb onto that tree. It is a perfect climbing tree. It is a cool looking climbing tree, but I'm not gonna be able to be out there with you to help you. So please don't climb on the big tree in the backyard because, sweetheart, you may fall and you may get hurt. And is it true that they could fall and they could get hurt? Yeah, absolutely. And do you want that to happen? No, that's why you're telling them, right? Now, even though you told them that, and what you told them is 100% true, what is the chance that they will climb that tree? Sooner or later, it's gonna happen. May not happen this year, but they're gonna get old enough that one day they're gonna look at that tree and they're gonna say, that tree is mine and I am ready to conquer that. That looks like fun. And isn't it funny? Isn't this funny? Just think about this for a second. That you know it's gonna happen. Just like you know you're gonna fall short of your own rules and expectations. You know it's gonna happen. Isn't that funny? So what do you do about it? What do you do about it? You expect it. You know they'll break the rules. But you let them do it anyways, right? Because that's what love does, isn't it? Love lets you go out and play in the backyard and sets boundaries, but gives you the freedom to choose what you want, to decide. You can read about that in the first three chapters of the Bible. Sounds like us though too, doesn't it? It's not just kids, it's adults. And they go outside, right? And they start having fun and you go do your work or something, you come back and you're gonna see one of two things, right? Someday, eventually, you'll see one of two things. Either they're up in the tree or they've fallen out of the tree, right? And you're gonna catch them. And are you gonna be upset that they went up in the tree? Yeah, you'd probably be a little upset. 
part of you is going to be a little disappointed because you told them not to, and then they disobeyed what you commanded them to do. But are you really upset because they fell or they didn't listen? No, I don't think most parents or parental figures are upset because their kid didn't listen. You're upset, you're disappointed because they didn't trust you. They didn't trust you. They didn't put their faith in you enough to listen. Because one day you would have said to them, I'll go out there and watch you as they climb the, to climb the tree. And then one day you would let them climb the tree whether you were there or not, right? One day they would have been able to do that more or less, but that one day wasn't that day. But they didn't trust you enough. It, it compromised the love that you have for them, doesn't it, a little bit? It breaks that love, that they didn't love you enough to put their faith in your deep and profound love for them. Moms, am I right about that? That you would be hurt by that? Not because they didn't listen, but because they broke your trust. And dads, I bet I'm right about that too, because that's a really important thing for dads, that my girls listen, not because I'm a meanie, though they think it and they say it, but because I love. I, I think sometimes I say to my girls, would you just listen to me? But what I really mean is, would you just trust me? Would you just trust me? Because I promise you I'm here to help. I'm here to free you from the harm that comes from bad choices because that's my responsibility as a loving parent. And that is how God looks at you. And that's Paul's point. He says, thank God. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And how is the answer in Jesus Christ, our Lord? Because God came in a body to stand there and say, hey, if you guys keep climbing up on the tree, you're gonna fall down sooner or later. So don't climb on the tree. And some people listened and some people didn't listen. But he didn't just end there. He didn't just end there, did he? He said, even when you fail, even when you sin against me, even when you don't love yourself or love your neighbor or love me as you should, I forgive you. I forgive you anyways. And parents, let's be honest. A parent's heart is to forgive their child, is it not? To love them unconditionally, is it not? And he said, thank, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And because you belong to him, because you're a part of his family, because you are a child of his, the power of the life-giving spirit, Jesus' spirit, has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. He wants to be with you and fill you and guide you. You belong to God as his child, just like your child belongs to you. And as a child who loves their parent and a parent who loves their child, there's trust and faith in each other. And here's the brilliant thing of this is no matter what, no matter who's around you or not around you in this world, God is with you. And when you're fighting yourself, you will have a difficult, difficult time winning. That's why you need help. 
And yes, his commands and rules are there to help you to not hurt yourself, but his spirit can be there too with you to strengthen you and give you life and power and direct you in the right way to go. It overwhelms, it, I, I'll just say it from my personal experience. It just, I know what's right and what's wrong, yet I'm tempted to do wrong, but I am so overwhelmed by God's love for me. I want to respect and honor that love, so therefore I choose what is good. Because I am so loved by him, I want to do the loving thing. It's why we give gifts to people and we do nice things for people, right? Because we felt so loved by them, we just want to reciprocate that. And we want to say, yes, I want to honor you back and love you back because so you loved me. Too often we make Christianity all about the rules. It's not about the rules. It's not about the rules. It's about relationship. It's just like a child. There's a point that you realize that you have to trust your father in heaven and that he has your best interest in mind. He has your back and you have to trust him and surrender to that relationship. You look at the tree and you say, oh, that tree is so tempting. But I'm not gonna give in to that. I'm going to give in to his love. And then the cycle goes like this. It's a different cycle. Here's how it goes. You depend on his spirit, which builds faith, which empowers right actions, which brings you closer to God. And Jesus helps you do that. Let me put it a different way. With my kids, okay? I want my kids to depend on me. Oop, back up. Depend on me. Which, when they depend on me and they actually listen to what I have to say, guess what it's going to build in them? A faith, a faith in me. A faith that in the future, I will not lead them wrong. They can't see the future. That's what faith is. You trust me in what you cannot see, but they're going to trust me nonetheless. And that's going to empower them to make right decisions. And then they're going to get closer to me and I to them to which they're gonna say next time they have a decision or a debate on their hand or a behavior, to, a step to take, they're gonna depend on me again because it worked out the first time and again and again and again. This is called a healthy relationship, building a healthy relationship. This is called you having a breakthrough against what's holding you back, a breakthrough against the sin that controls you and you don't even get why sometimes. It's you saying, Lord, I need to depend on you. I want to depend on you and build faith and empower right actions and subsequently grow closer to you. Let me put it a different way. Follow the rule maker and, you'll learn to and, you'll, and you will learn to follow the rules. Let's say it one more time. Follow the rule maker. Stop following the rules. Stop worrying about the rules. Stop it. All these Christians out here, oh, I gotta do the rules and do the right things at the right time. Stop it. Follow the rule maker and you will learn the rules in the process. This is Jesus's model. This is Jesus's model. If your kids follow you, they will learn your rules, yes? Same thing. And as a father, I am hurt when my kids break the rule. Not because they broke the rule, but because they didn't trust me. And that hurt our love that we share between each other. And I'm sad that they're hurting. And I just want to sit there and I want to say, trust me. I have a life-giving, harm-preventing, 
way to go through your life if you just trust me. And God's saying the same exact thing. Children, my children, I know you. I know the world better than you do, better than you ever will because I made it. I know the universe better than you will ever know because I made it. Trust me. I know how to go through life because I gave it. I gave life. If you want to go through life and experience life, then go to the one who gave you life. A lot of times around baptism, love baptism, outward sign of an inward decision to follow Jesus. So many times I'll hear from people, this is not a criticism, it's just a reality. So many people will say, Taylor, but I'm not sure I'm ready yet. I don't know all the things yet. Stop worrying about all the things and worry about the one whom you've decided to follow. Stop worrying about, do I know all the rules and just follow the rule maker? If you've decided to follow the rule maker, you will learn the rules. It's what love does. If you love the lawmaker, you will learn his laws. You will learn him. If you are struggling with a vice or an addiction or whatnot, take Paul's advice. Name it for what it is. Declare it for what it is. Something that is a sin that prevents you from loving you, loving God, and loving your neighbor, because that's what sin does. It will not help you to love better. Admit the brokenness, but in the same breath, admit that you are a child of God loved and your brokenness is forgiven, that, your, that God's grace covers your shame. And you need to trust in that love, just as any good parent seeing their child suffer would say, trust me, I'm here for you, I love you, and I will help you through. Don't let it define you. Let me, your parent, your father in heaven, define you. Don't let it overwhelm you. Let me fill you and guide you. The reward is not in the things that you can buy and get or the fact that you persevered and your willpower overcame that donut. The reward is in the relationship that you can have. That's the ultimate reward. That's the reward that you realize you don't have to go through life alone. And that's the reward that helps you to take steps and steps closer to him. That's the ultimate reward. We're gonna talk more about how do you navigate the difficult parts of life in the next two weeks. But that's where I want you to start. Number one, slave to sin. Not a fun thing to say, not a fun thing to admit. But it is a great first step. Number two, to say, who's with me? Who has my back? Who can I trust? Who loves me unconditionally? Who would die for me? They love me that much. Who can I trust? Answer that question. Stop worrying about the Christian rules. Start worrying about your relationship with your heavenly father. Don't even worry about it. That's a bad word. Don't worry about it. Trust it. Love that relationship. Begin that relationship. It's a process. It develops. I've been doing this for 10 years, and I am still overwhelmed sometimes. Like half the time, I'm crying. You guys see that? Half the time, I'm up here talking. Because I'm still learning, and I'm still learning to trust that relationship. But that love and that relationship is so overwhelming, it can just sometimes break through even the biggest walls that we put up, the biggest barriers around our heart. But it's what we need, and it's how we experience life. If you would, bow your heads, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I wanna start first by thanking all the moms. 
all the moms who know this truth so well. An unconditional love, a love that sacrifices, alters and changes, a love that will transform forever. Lord, thank you for giving us the blessing of having moms to show us that love, to guide us, to model for us. And Lord, thank you for dads. Thank you for the fatherhood that some of us have been blessed by in our lives. May not have been a biological father, may not have been a biological mother, but someone stepped into that role, maybe for a season, maybe for a while. But ultimately, a parent's job, the powerful thing about being a parent, the transforming part of being a parent is love, just as it is for you. It's as if you created it. It's as if you set up this wonderful family hierarchy that we live out. But Lord, help us to remember that we are invited into that. That you are inviting us into that love and that trust and that transformation. When our identity becomes established by you, not by anything else. When our addictions are overwhelmed because we are so loved and that shame and brokenness that we have stored up, that self-doubt and insecurity that has tore us apart inside for so long is overwhelmed and restored and healed by your spirit and the love that life-giving spirit gives. Lord, help us to know you are a God of grace, a God of hope, a God of mercy and forgiveness, that your spirit brings all those things, but it also brings self-control. It gives us discipline. It gives us an ability to navigate those hard decisions, those tempting decisions. And even if we follow you for the rest of life, we're certainly not gonna be perfect, but we will be certainly less imperfect. We will certainly be more freed. And that is worth it, Lord. Help us today in this room, in our hearts, be free. Be free to make those decisions and make those decisions right because we are so incredibly cared for. Help us to know that and be transformed and filled today with that. Help us to know the steps we are to take and to draw in each of those steps closer to you. Lord, we thank you. Give us the wisdom and the grace and the community of people around us to be able to live that out. In your name I pray, amen.